Welcome to Zephyr Podcast Sessions, where we bridge the gap between industries and discuss the secrets to rapid subscription growth. In today's podcast, our VP of Marketing, Sybil Uger, interviews Jamie Counter, Creative Director of Product Development, about how businesses can stand out by leveling up their user-centered design. Hello, my name is Sybil, VP of Marketing here at Zephyr, Zora Company. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with my favorite creative director of product development, James Counter. Jamie, it is lovely to have you. Could you please introduce yourself? Thank you, Sybil. Um, great to be here today. Thank you for having me. My name's Jamie. Uh, I've worked at Zephyr now for three years, just over three years, actually. It's my three-year anniversary in August. Um, I've got a rather large background in publishing, actually. Um, I've, I've been in the industry for over two decades now. Um, I moved to London when I was 20 um, and did an internship at EMAP for three months, uh, redesigning the mother and baby website back in the day of the dot-com boom um, when tables and HTML was, was a thing. Um, from there, I stayed at EMAP for a long time, actually, in their B2B sector, EMAP Healthcare. Um, I moved to EMAP Consumer in about 2005. Um, and about two years after that, Bauer acquired EMAP, the consumer side, uh, and I stayed there for, for quite a while working across some of their website brands like Grazia, Yours, Closer. I did a little stout on FHM for a while before moving over to Euromoney um, and then taking a step in the charity sector working at Citizens Advice. And that was that was really the first time that I dived into kind of moving from sort of software uh, publishing website design to more software design. Uh, I was in charge of redesigning their case management system for all of their local offices. Um, and when I was working at Euromoney, actually, going back to Euromoney, that's where I met James. Um, he was he was working with Odin at the time. We were doing a big redesign of all of their publishers' websites, uh, registration walls. Um, and I kept bumping into James on Fleet Street thereafter when he was setting up Blaze. Um, and he kept saying, we need to do lunch, we need to do lunch. I've got an exciting idea that I want to run past you. And then I, I joined Zephyr in 2009, just as we were rebranding from Blaze to Zephyr. And here we are now. Oh, wow. What a nice story, Jamie. That's uh, it's really an interesting background. It seems you have a of varied uh, experiences. What's something you are particularly proud of in your career? Uh, good question, actually. I think probably the most proud I've, I've I think the, the thing that I'm most proud of right now is being out, having, having worked at Zephyr and taking Zephyr from pre-seed to exit in just three and a half years. I think that's an amazing accomplishment. I think someone told me the other day, talking to someone at, at Zephyr and they said that 95% of startups fail. So to be part of that small 5% where we've, we've managed to, to reach our goal, I think is a, is a great story to tell. And also working in pub, working, going from publishing to charity, that was a, that was a really nice experience. It's a, it's a very different environment, um, especially with Citizens Advice where I worked, um, knowing that everything that, that we were doing was making a huge impact on, you know, people's lives, people who have got problems and want to get that advice, that free advice. So that was that that was a really great part of my career as well. 
Yeah, yeah, it's been quite a journey here at Zephyr as well. Like you said, it's been wonderful seeing it even mine's is two years, uh, but it's good to see how the company's come and shaped and evolved. Yeah, um, and, and like, uh, especially when I started, there was, I think there were about eight of us. It was very small. Um, and to see it grow so quickly over the over the last three years has been it's been incredible. Right. Let's dive into your processes now. Sounds good. How do you make use of user stakeholder feedback to inform design evolution? So this is this is the part that I'd, I'd actually really like to talk about how we do some of our our kind of product processes. Um, you know, we have we have quite a quite a good process in place now that we've 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 changed and we've iterated over over the sort of last year, year or two years. Um, we we like to encourage our product managers to do the right research. So we don't build feature requests. We, we, we have, you know, our customers um, bring feature requests to the table. They they obviously want things that the, the, the platform currently can't do. But we take those feature requests and we actually try and identify what the underlying problem is as to why they want that feature request. So what we'll do is we'll do a, a quite a rigorous interviewing process where we we talk to the customer and we we're always asking why you know why are you trying to do this what's the what's the reason for this and what that often points out is is you know 90 percent of the time the feature request that they want is just a quick solution to a problem they've got and that might be right for that customer but actually that might not be right for 95 percent of our other customers so we're trying to identify what the problem is and see if there's any common ground across the across our customer base. And we will often come up with a problem statement and a brief, and there'll be assumptions around that as well that we want to validate. And we want to validate those assumptions really quickly. Um, and from that, we 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 come up with an outcome of what we want want to achieve really. Um, and you know, we create user personas, and the user personas are really the part where they're based on a real person and those real pain points and problems, um, and they're very goal orientated. So it's, it's quite a nice process and that helps us inform much better design decisions because we can validate the designs against the problem statement and the personas and the goals of that particular user. It really boils down to test, learn and iterate, doesn't it? You know, something as you know, we live by at Zephyr. Um, my team in marketing, for example, every campaign we work on, we make sure we have feedback from the other teams in the business to help enrich the project, right? I think the more opinions we have, the more feedback we have, it just ultimately helps evolve and you deliver the best project you at the end of it. That's so true. And it's, it's one of the things we do as well, sorry. One of the things we do as well is um, early on in the process, when we've, you know, when we've done all the research and we understand the problem space, we'll, we'll collaborate, yeah. we'll, we'll sketch and we'll ideate really early on. And, and those sketches are rough, they're fast, but they're, they're ideas and you don't get too attached to those ideas. You know, I've, I've seen a lot in the past where you just go straight into high fidelity and you're like, I know what the solution is to this. And you design a really beautiful design and you get really into it and you love it, that idea. And as soon as someone has a negative thing to say about that idea, you get quite defensive. But what we like to do is we sketch and we ideate a lot of ideas, two, three, four, sometimes we get quick, fast feedback on that. And that ideation process can be collaborative. 
we might have what I like to refer to as the product trio, the product manager, the product designer, and a developer. Getting all of that feedback early is really important. And when you feel like you're, you're kind of hitting the nail with one of those ideas, you might want to get more feedback, maybe from a customer, maybe from customer success, maybe from sales. It depends what the, the problem or the area you're trying to solve that problem in. But um, from there, you can start thinking about going into slightly more high fidelity. Maybe you might want to do some interactive design around some of the sort of micro interactions in there. And, you know, we use a great piece of software which enables you to do really, really good interactive design and, it, and it, it's called UX pin it's browser based but it basically renders everything in the browser afterwards like and, and it's like using the product you can do conditional conditional interactions based on what a user is putting in an input box it's very very good and you know once you've prototyped that idea you can then start moving and testing so you can take that to a user and get them to test it against a test script right to validate that what you've done is right and that you're getting you'll get you know the user is understanding that that whole that that design and and and, and that solution and when you've you've got the right feedback from there then you can start moving into more high fidelity design and making it look polished and a little bit more like a, a finished product but that whole process the whole point around that process is that test learn iterate you're sketching you're getting feedback you know, you're testing and you're learning and then you're making changes on that. And when you do it in sketch form and it's really rough, you're not getting too attached to any of these solutions. So it's, it's a really nice process. Uh, and, and the great thing is, you know, obviously working through a pandemic was very difficult, but, you know, we have the tools now to be able to collaborate through Miro boards or through FigJam or just sharing your iPad screen with an Apple Pencil on an iPad and sketching out on, on there so the people on the call can see and give you feedback. There are so many good methods now working remotely that there's there's kind of no excuse not to kind of do that, test, learn, iterate. Yeah, it's the building blocks, right? Jamie, if we could, you know, let's dive into your expertise a bit. Um, I think it'd be really helpful for the audience if we backtracked yeah. Um, and gave a high level explanation of user design. Um, so how would you define user-centered design? Sure, sure. So I mentioned briefly um, around uh, earlier around, you know, designing user personas. So part of having use, part of the user-centered design process is always making sure you're designing around the user needs rather than what your assumptions are. It's always really easy to assume that you think you've got the right answer for your product, um, but you really need to understand what those user needs are. And having having a, a sort of nice library of, of user personas against different types of users that use your product based on real people, they're fictional, but they're based on real world problems, right? And yeah, we, we have, quite a few personas sometimes we've 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 got old personas that we'll reuse because because they're relevant sometimes we will create new personas but essentially you get to know those personas right so every time you're validating you're you're validating a design you're sort of asking yourself you know would would Sybil use this and and these these personas become real people in in, in your head and it really helps build a much better product because you know you're designing against that problem what the real problem is and understanding what their real problems are rather than just trying to fix and maybe put a plaster over something that 
that isn't the underlying problem. It's just a quick fix. Yeah, you know, as a consumer myself, you know, I use many tools and apps just like anyone else does. But it's funny, I often find myself critiquing the experience. There are a lot of badly designed tools out there. And current times, you know, it's crucial to ensure the user's top of mind and offers the best experience possible. Because otherwise, it's there's, there's a better app, there's a better tool out there. Um, in your opinion, why is design consistency so important for user experience? So that's a very good question. Um, I think your users kind of like, it's really important to maintain consistency across your product. Uh, when, we, when we're designing solutions to problems in Zephyr, we always try and look at our component library and see, have we done this before? There must be an area in the application where we've 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 built a component like this before, and we'll we'll dive through our component library and say yes, you know we we can use this, but we might need to enhance it slightly. Um, and I think that's really important because your users get familiar with with an experience across your product, right? So if you're changing things up all the time and you're you know using different styles of button for secondary actions or you know, you're you're using three different styles for a for a panel that you can drag somewhere. Um, your users will have more cognitive load, and they'll find the experience difficult and frustrating. And I think that can be quite damaging to your brand over time. Right. It's about creating that stickiness with your users, right? The, as you said, the consistency of it. And I, I think I think it's valid across the across the spectrum as well. When when you look at any product or website or service um you you know like take ordering a taxi or something like that you you know where the things are and you become so quick at it just moving one of those elements on the page to a different part of the page can cause your user to either sometimes do something different or do something wrong and that can be hugely frustrating for that end user so it's really important that you maintain that consistency. And, you know, this will hit hard with you, Sybil, I think from a branding perspective as well, when you're in, in marketing, when, you, when you're designing, you know, you, you have to have that kind of brand consistency as well, because it's really important because it can be damaging to your brand otherwise. It's, ex it's exactly the same when you're designing components within a product or you're designing a problem to a solution. Yeah, because as you said, any little thing you change can have a, you know, a negative, negative effect on, on that experience or, yeah, um, you know, on the message that you want to deliver. Jamie, you talked a lot about, you know, the processes um, and as we can, you know, anticipate there's, uh, there's not just you, there's a whole team behind you that you work with. How do you deal with multiple stakeholders in the design process and why is collaborative design a good approach? I love the fact that you talk about collaborative design there, Sybil, because I've always been an advocate of collaborative design. I think I get really upset when I see product designers or UI designers, UX designers sitting siloed, you know, not talking to anyone. I, I, I think it's really important to get input where you can as much as as much as you can from diff different stakeholders um, i talked about it earlier with the product trio the product manager the the product designer 
the the developer but, but but anyone really i think everyone has good ideas and they can bring these good ideas to the table and discuss them and i think it makes such a difference when you have huge input from product is product management because they've 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 asked those difficult questions they've sat through those difficult interviews with with customers who you know they might love your product but they might have um some you know real pain points around certain areas of that product and i think it's really important that having these conversations enables you to feed that back all the time and have that really good feedback loop um it's it's something i, I i've always loved doing and it makes the process so much more enjoyable when you can collaborate like there are times where you need to be on your own to you know build that prototype and do all of the interactive stuff but i think early on when you're sketching and when you're ideating and you're trying to come up with multiple solutions it's so important that you have a developer's input because there's going to be some some design architecture on the code level that that you might not know as a designer that you might not have thought about there might be an api call that you need to make that actually you can't get that piece of information back that line of text there you might that not that might not be something that you can bring back easily without having a massive effect on performance, all of these things that you might not think about. And sometimes if you're not collaborating early on with these people, you know, if, especially if you're working in agile and you're working in sprints, when you get to week two of development and they see something in the design and they bring that back and say, Oh, actually that's going to be really difficult to do that. We can't do that and deliver on time. You know, you're kind of falling on your, falling on your bum a little bit there and you're kind of it's a bit too late really um at that point to be making those changes because then you've got to validate them again so getting that feedback early on is 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 really important you know i would even go further and say cross-functional collaboration is is the key to the survival of any business right across any function 100 percent I think it makes a much better product at the end of the day as well. And also everyone's had their input as well. You know, people like to, people like to see their ideas come to fruition and, and see it in the product. And it can't be all, you know, probably the designer is obviously, you know, they are coming up with a lot of the solutions, but it, it, it has to be collaborative, I think. Absolutely. Jamie, I think this is a good segue to bring it back to our industry and discuss how digital publishers use centric design. Um, in your experience, what do publishers do well and what not so well when it comes to user centric design? Good question. Um, one of one of my biggest pain points when I'm consuming content online, be it be it video content or or just uh, standard uh, written content. I I find the the amount of advertising I see is can be can really hinder the user experience. And I get how important, and I completely understand that advertising, be it display or otherwise, is an important part of any business revenue. Uh, but if it's ex executed in an irrelevant way, um, I think it can really hinder that user experience. So I think a really good example of a of, of getting it right is when I look at the New York Times, um, they have such a clean, easy to consume layout, like it responds really well across device. There's there's really good brand consistency between their prints and their digital medium. 
And when you compare that to something like, you know, if you ever go, if you ever seen the Daily Mail's website where they rely heavily on advertising revenue, like if you go to the New York Times, you don't see any ads. They push subscription, right? And I'd much rather pay for a product and get an ad free experience than go to a product and be bombarded with ads and and find it really difficult to consume the content because there's stuff moving and popping up all over the place. I think another good example would be The Economist and The Guardian. They're both they're both very nice, consistent experiences, you know, great on mobile, which is probably what 98% of the users are looking at anyway these days. How about you, Sybil? What are your what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, if you think about it, nowadays, you can get your news from anywhere and anyone, whether that's reliable or not is a different story. Um, But the key is how do you build that trusted brand? And it really is, as you say, personalization, the unique experiences you provide to the user and keep keep them coming back for more. what are some of the techniques that help businesses stand out, innovate, and level up their user-centered design? So I think one of the things that they can do is, is to get like rapid feedback. Some of the, some of the techniques that we use internally, uh, we do what we call painted door tests. And this is a really good way to gauge a user's interest in something. So let's say, for example, you're looking at a new feature in your application and you want to redesign a small or sort of you know re-engineer a small segment of that but you, you don't know if you have the relevant data to be able to gauge whether or not this is the right thing to be doing painted door tests are basically things you can put on your website to see if people are interested in it so one of the things we did at, at zephyr is um we were looking at enhancing our split testing functionality within the application and making it more sticky, um, easier to do. Um, So we put a small um, like info panel on our our homepage um, that asks people if they've set up a split test um, with a call to action to say, create a split test here with a little bit of information on what split testing is. And we put some tracking on that button. You can you can easily get very fast data, you know, when you think about how many people are logging into your product every day and you can get that kind of rapid feedback to understand, well, actually, no one's clicked on that or we've had loads of people click on that. This is definitely something we need to be improving. Um, Another thing is split testing. So dividing small percentage of your traffic one way or another way to to see which to validate, you know, which is which is a better solution, really. It's all about that test, learn, iterate cycle, isn't it? It's about getting the right data back and, and, and learning from that and then iterating accordingly. Right. Is uh, split testing similar to A-B testing? Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Well, we're getting close to the end. Uh, but before we let you go, Jamie, I know our audience would love to hear your predictions for the space. Can you give us one prediction about the future of user-centered design and subscriptions? Uh, One thing that excites me, I think, about the future is uh, giving giving consumers uh, more choice, I think. So rather than, you know, forcing your user to purchase something that gives you everything, giving them a more tailored experience, like personalization, I think, is a really big 
big thing here. So, you know, you might have someone who's interested in celebrity um, and giving them the opportunity to pay for that content only at a much lower price, um, I think would be a really good thing. Or potentially, you know, you could go even further to, to, to maybe sort of give people discounts based on time of day or something like that. But really from a design perspective, I, I really, really want to see um, more, a more consistent and elegant experience when consuming content, especially um, publishing content. I think, it, you know, going back to what I was talking about earlier around some some companies, you know, really relying heavily way too much on display advertising. And, it, you know, it does hinder the user experience when you go to a website and you get a cookie policy pop up, you get, you know, uh, a modal pop up with an offer and you have to close that and then you get a page full of advertising and you can only see three or four lines of content between ads you know it's it's it really hinders the user experience so I'd, I'd love to see a more a more consistent like sort of design or or a more consistent experience across across the board really well you heard it here first personalize personalize and deliver unique experiences that gives us plenty of food for thought Thank you so much for your insights today. It's always a pleasure, Jamie. Thanks, Sybil. It's been fantastic to chat. 